Frank, it is time. It is that time of the year where a new version of C Sharp has come down from Mads Torgerson himself and blessed upon us in Visual Studio, the great way of creating even better code. It's here, C Sharp 8, Frank. It's you know, some people say we shouldn't be chiseling these things into stone, but I like it. I like waiting for it to be chiseled. I, I want the full C Sharp 8 spec in rock. I guess. Uh, yeah, it's here, James. I feel like it's been here for a while. I'm an early adopter. I've been rocking the C-sharp 8, but it's, you're right. I think it's been officially released. Was it officially released with .NET Core 3.0? That's kind of what I'm assuming. Yes, that is correct. A .NET Conf officially .NET Core C-sharp 8 is supported by .NET Core 3 and any framework that implements .NET Standard 2.1. That, I believe, is the official Richlander stamp quote thing. <laughs> Should we explain .NET Standard 2.1? <laughs> no. <laughs> so just, I want to put out there, .NET Standard 2.1 is a cool thing. They, they've added a few things to the standard library that we all use. But if you're a library author out there, I've seen a little bit of weird confusion where people are like, I have to upgrade to .NET Standard 2.1. No, no, you really don't. It, it, <laughs> .NET Standard is one of those things where you actually want to use the minimum version number that you can kind of get away with. And so uh, .NET Standard 2.1, it's just a thing out there. At this point, I recognize it as like what the compilers need. But now I'm wondering, uh, does uh, Unity, do Unity developers get C-sharp 8? Well, here's the thing, is that to use C-sharp 8, I, I sat down with Emo for about an hour to figure this all out. And, <laughs> and I was like, if I can't figure this out, then how's anyone supposed to figure it out? If me and Emo can't figure this out, how are we not, or how's anyone supposed to figure it out? So here is the thing, C-sharp 8, just like C sharp seven, C sharp seven two, C sharp seven one, for the most part, these are just compiler changes. So if you enable C sharp eight in in any of your pro any project, any project, Frank, then this means if it compiles, it should just run and it should just work. Now there are specifically libraries that were added into .NET Standard two one. But those were even backported into .NET Standard 2.0 and other ones via a NuGet package, like <laughs> asynchronous, like I async enumerable, for instance. That's actually a NuGet package. So even if you want to use those new features that are part of C Sharp 8 that are kind of part of the runtime or part of the .NET Standard 2.1, you can still get those. So when you're saying you don't need to upgrade to .NET Standard 2.1, you're correct. But there are a few. I believe like indices and ranges, those are actually yeah. runtime, runtime. So there are a few that like, they just don't exist. But for the most part, if you go in and you flip on C-sharp eight, which you can do in your CS proj, in your iOS project, Xamarin projects, .NET standard 2.1, or even just try to use it, Visual Studio will be like, hey, do you want to turn on C-sharp eight? And you're like, yeah, let's do this. It's party time. I'm ready. <laughs> And then you just use it and everything's readily available. Now, officially, there's official quotes, right? There's, there's sort of that, you know, official platform support here. But if yeah. it compiles, Frank, it compiles. It's IO. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to back up your point about the extra libraries not really being needed, I've been using C Sharp 8 in my .NET Standard 2.0 libraries for a year now using the preview versions. 
and I have not needed to include any other libraries at all. I wasn't using the fancy new index and range that I hope we'll talk about on this show, but uh, yeah, and async streams, whatever. We'll get to that. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, .NET Standard 2.0 is still a happy safe spot, but uh, we're in this fancy new world of a 2.1. So James, um, what does one physically need to do? I know in Visual Studio for Mac, you can go to Project Options. And under the language, they have a few options like Stable, Latest, Preview. Ignore all those. Just set the version number that you want to your language. Because honestly, I find it very confusing how the build project picks Latest versus Preview and all that. So I just go into a drop down and pick C Sharp 8.0. What do you do? Yeah, I I I start to use the feature and then make Visual Studio just light it light it up. Nice. Uh, but okay. <laughs> but I usually go into my CS proj and then I say um, Lang version and then I do eight dot and oh, hit you're save and then manually editing does. like a Unix hacker. Yeah, you know it's there. It's just you <laughs> you, you do it. Um, yeah. Well, it's a little bit tricky because in .NET standard libraries now, when you go to do it, it says um, automatically selected based on framework version. So it actually doesn't let you do it in Visual Studio 2019 for some reason, Hmm. uh, which is Hmm. odd. It just uses the default tooling getting in the way. I guess in that case, just go type it in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I just type it in myself. Or again, when you use the feature, uh, then a little bubble comes down and says, Hey, do you just want to, you know, use like the latest feature of, yeah. uh, you know, this stuff? Yes. You know, so. now that you say that, I, I actually have done that myself. Um, we'll get to my favorite feature C sharp eight, the knowable references eventually, but I would just go to the top of a file type knowable enable. And you're right. I could just right click on it. And it's like, you want to use the latest C sharp, don't you? And I'm like, yes, yes tool. I do. I do want that. That's right. And, there's for for all intents and purposes here what what is happening is that there's a default language version that is applied via like target files and this is pretty low level but each project type can specify hey i support this version as my default now .NET core 3 defaults to 8 anything .NET core 2 73 .NET standard 21 80 2073 .NET standard 21 even 7.3 and any framework is 7.3. Now what's not in there in this, you know, overview is what about Xamarin projects? What about UWP projects? <laughs> Great question because Xamarin projects do implement .NET standard 2.1. I literally demoed it at .NET Conf using gRPC. And since that platform supports it, they should, for all intents and purposes here, change their target files to support it. So I, James Montemagno, went off to the magic world of GitHub, where everything is open source, and I wrote a little uh, little, uh, little issue. I said, please default to C Sharp 8 <laughs> for all new projects. And uh, it's already done in Android, and I'm just waiting on the iOS one for them to flip the switch. And that means inside of the iOS or Android project, it would just automatically default to 8.0, which would be delightful yes, yes. so that's what i'm excited very about. good james thank you as the xamarin community 
Thank you, sir. Uh, This is, again, what I was saying about I don't understand what latest stable preview, any of that stuff means. (laughs) That's why it's easiest uh, to hard code it. But file new project, that's very important. You don't want people typing their own null coalescing assignments like but manually like animals or anything like that. But also, roughly speaking, I always think of Xamarin as being keeping up with the pack, if not ahead of the pack most of the time. So I I had no doubt that we were going to have good C-sharp 8 support. And we have had it all throughout the preview cycle. It's just a matter, like you said, of, uh, oh, yeah, the defaults. (laughs) Those are important. Better get those into shape. Yeah. And the the one problem that will always sort of come up is uh, with the .NET standard library, because that is a 2.0 project. So if you're doing Xamarin Forms, you're going to want to flip on the switch anyways. Anyways, it's super easy. Flip it on, because then you get to use awesome features. And you may have noticed... What was it? Maybe two weeks ago or so, I was doing some Hacktober stuff, and I I tweet stormed when I flipped on C sharp eight and Xamarin Essentials, and I just started making all my code so much more readable, so much more <laughs> elegant. Like there were features in C sharp eight that I was like, how come no one has ever told me this? Literally, we were prepping for this podcast, and I will link to this Twitter. Um, <laughs> that this tweet message that I sent, but I literally went and I said, OMG, null coalescing assignments are the coolest thing ever. Mads Torgerson, why have you not told me about this? <laughs> because no one ever talks about C-sharp eight features. Everyone just talks about IAsync enumerable, Frank, and I don't even want IAsync enumerable. <laughs> I want null coalescing assignments. Yes, exactly. So let's go into the nerdy features that maybe aren't getting all the publicity that they should. Because uh, yeah, there's um, we. I think we were talking about during the seven point one, seven point two, seven point three days about we like this iter- iterative refinement, but. A whole new language. They they bit off some big chunks of uh, syntax here, and I want to explore how we can shorten our code and play code golf more readily these days. Can we start with my favorite one? My favorite one. This is a little bit of performance, James, and it is called read only members on structs. Now. If you've ever written structs in uh, C-sharp or whatever, you know it's a value type and it's not passed around by reference. We like these because they're memory efficient, they don't affect the garbage collector, lots of reasons to love structs. But they weren't always super efficient because the compiler had to make some assumptions. If you wrote a struct, you can write a method on it that modifies the state of that struct, just like it was um, an object or something like that. Turns out that's a little nasty because that means every time you call a method on a struct, it has to make a copy of that struct just to be safe about how you're dealing with it. Now, James, now with the glory of C-sharp 8, we can put the keyword read only, which is a little weird, but whatever you put the word read only on uh, the methods and maybe even uh, fields of the structs. And you can say that I promise, I super duper promise not to modify the data in the struct while this function is running. And therefore the compiler can uh, output more optimized code, which is awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I'm seeing here. I love the samples on the website, too, because as you're browsing through and there's links in the show notes for it, they sort of do the before and after. Like, here's what it did look like. Here's what you would add. And here's why you would add it. 
uh, in general. And, and then here's how it's improved. So yeah, they have a good example of like an X and Y point, and then you might calculate the distance and you can add a read only to the distance to ensure that you get that optimal performance because the X and Y would never change. So it can, um, auto yeah. make it better. Well, it can ensure correctness too. So if I declare that I promise I'm not going to modify state and then whoopsie doopsie, I try to modify one of the fields, the compiler can actually yell at me and say, you promise not to do it. And so that's good because it's more kind of designed by contract. You're stating your intentions. I don't intend to modify anything in this function. It's good. I like that kind of stuff because you get performance and readability out of it. That's kind of a win-win. Now, you know, I'm all about um, cleaning up code, Frank. That's what I love about new C-sharp features is how do you make my code look better, more readable, more maintainable? And there is one thing that I hate, Frank, in coding. Do you know okay. what? Well, there's multiple things. <laughs> <Yeah>. what, <laughs> what is one of them? Oh, oh, I, um, uh, inversion of control. <laughs> No, I, I do. I'm I do sorry. hate IOC. Uh, so I don't like underscores on names. That's one Ooh, thing. That's one. old school. Yeah, gotcha. But I have always been anti arrow. You know what I'm talking about? Here? Ar- which arrow are you talking about? Like lambda functions? That arrow or which arrow? I'm talking about. Those are also one. No, I like lambda arrows. Those are good. Those are okay. Good. What okay. I don't like is nested if statements or nested using or nesting things where your your squigglies create an arrow. Oh, I know what you mean. So like when you zoom out of the code, it's indent, 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 outdent, 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 outdent. Yes. We used to have this in Lisp, but instead of outdent, 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 it would be parentheses, 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 just an infinite number of parentheses as you try to pop the stack and get back to where you want to be. Yeah, I get you. I get you. You know, I used to write code that had people used to call it early returns functions that had multiple return statements in it and there was a real dogma against that for quite a while i had a boss at microsoft who yelled at me about it once he's like you should only have one return statement per function i'm like well then why does the language allow me to write multiple (laughs) gotcha buddy (laughs) yeah i've always been a fail fast uh, which is return fast if 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 I can get out, get out right now. It's very clear. Like I went here and I can't go anymore. So I can look at the code and say, all right, this thing is null. Get out of there, buddy. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a return fast type of person too. And because I when I first got to Canon, we had a same thing. Someone was very much one return statement. And then that person left the company and they said, oh, ho, ho. Let's change all the code to be freedom return first freedom. We can do whatever we want. So, so this one ended up really saving my behind when I was doing some refactoring because I was inside of some deep Android code where I was getting uh, screen information and window information. And these were all like Java cast objects back and forth. And mm. these were objects that needed to be disposed and you know what you do with objects that need to be disposed frank you totally ignore them and hope the garbage collector takes care of it until you find out that the garbage collector can't (laughs) so you better be using a using statement around it 
And then if you have using statements inside of using statements inside of yeah. using statements, what are what is that, Frank? I believe it's referred to as an arrow, James. That's an correct. arrow has appeared in your code. <laughs> it is this big old yeah, arrow. I was wondering where you were going with this whole arrow discussions, but now I got it. Okay, so we got some new syntax using var. Now, all the var haters are really going to hate this one. <laughs> no. But uh, you, you can actually still put the type name. But so when you're declaring a variable and you put the word using before the declaration of that variable, then that introduces a new implicit scope, just like C++. So we have resource allocation is initialization just from C++. And so when you exit the function, you're guaranteed that your dispose functions will be called. And yes, James, yes, where has this been all my life? Because like you, I do a lot of interrupt with native libraries, specifically iOS and talking to C programs all the time. And although I know I should be disposing of objects constantly, there's I, I create tons of foundation objects that I should be disposing. I never do because it's annoying and you got to put those curly braces and create indentation and all that. But now you just put the word using in front of the variable declaration and that's all handled for you. This is the best. Yeah, I would really like an analyzer that goes through the code. And maybe this exists already. Someone yeah. tell us that <laughs> wherever I'm doing var or whatever, I'm assigning something and I'm not wrapping it in a, in a dispose. It should just put a squiggly there and then be like, you should use using right now, friend. So why you just do that? So that's there. That's there. That's how I learned about it. <gasps> no. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm in um, Visual Studio for Mac. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten all those Roslyn analyzers over the last year to the point where my right column on old code bases is basically like, we want you to change this. We want you to change that. We want you to change. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. Uh, but I've gotten to the point where I ignore maybe five of those Rosalind things and then keep the rest and basically just blindly go through my code saying, yeah, Rosalind, whatever you want. <laughs> just make it better. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> and that has worked out great. And it does this using one just like you would want. Yeah, it's super duper nice. And some people are like, oh, I don't get it because, you know, you just you're just getting rid of some squigglies. I go, yeah, but you don't have to think about it. The compiler does it for you. And then also when you get into the situation where there are multiple, that's where the real win is. You're just like, I'm just going to do this and it'll handle nulling for you. It'll figure it all out. So now you don't have to worry about is it null? Do I hit, you know, question mark dot dispose? Just just use the using and it's good to go. And in the code, the before and after that I showed was just mind boggling and it, it fixed the bug because I wasn't disposing. And the bug, by the way, was like, call this method 24,000 times and then it'll crash. And that is correct. <laughs> uh, but regardless, <laughs> the using statement did fix it. And using var, so good. It's my favorite little hidden feature that I think is just absolutely delightful because I do a lot of file I.O., right? Yeah. When you're when you're doing I.O., what do you do? You create streams, you create stream writers, you files and those all have to be disposed and and you're usually doing those in concurrent um lines of code over and over again so yeah and even just something as basic as ns string so that's the string type used by ios uh those things just lay around and accumulate and wait for the garbage collector to get to them it would be much more friendly 
nice <laughs> to the system to actually dispose of them when you're actually done with them. And you never do because you have NS strings all over your code. But now if it just means I have to put a little using here and there, I'm totally down for that. Good stuff. Yeah, there might be something that a lot of developers don't realize is, especially in the world of 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 Xamarin development, you sort of have two of the objects, right? You have your yeah. native <laughs> object and then you have your 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 managed object and you need to properly dispose of them usually at the same time if you can especially images and things like that and circular references so just letting this handle it for you as much as it can just makes life so much easier um but yeah there's Mm -hmm. a lot more goodies frank let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor this week inferno red they make building software easier because they will help you build it or just build it for you themselves. Listen, Inferno Red Technology, they're a software development company. They build products for businesses all over the country. They specialize in modern development, including web, cloud, IoT, mobile apps, TV apps, and even smart refrigerators. That's right. Run that .NET code right on that refrigerator. They have a long history of .NET and Xamarin building cross-platform apps, and they are here to help you build your next application. Head to InfernoRed.com or find them on Twitter at InfernoRedTech. That's right. Head over to InfernoRed.com if you're looking to build your next project. And thanks to InfernoRed for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, InfernoRed. James, can I get a smart refrigerator in an apartment? Can I swap out my refrigerator? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, you might yeah. have to put back the old refrigerator. Oh boy, that's a lot of work. <laughs> okay, okay. Back to C sharp eight. I gotta do another funny little performance one, but it's also kind of a correctness one. So you, I'm pretty sure, like local functions. These are where I have a method, I'm typey, typey, typing, and I'm like, you know, it'd be nice if I could call a little function here, but I don't necessarily want to like have all the other functions have access to it, or maybe it's a Lambda, but I want to give the Lambda a name. So we got these cool things called local functions. Yes. The trick is, yeah, you like them, right? You're down. I, I was not a believer, but then, Frank, I started to use them in Xamarin Essentials when we started to, when you start to have to worry about asynchronizing methods and task completion sources and registering (laughs) and unregistering events and things, it super cleaned up the code. It was mind boggling. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, just giving names to things turns out that helps if you can describe what they do, things like that. Well, they have a new feature, James, in C-Sharp 8.0 called Static Local Functions. And the cool thing here is that anytime you have a Lambda or a local function, you kind of have to assume that you're allocating an object. That function is usually represented by an object. That means it has to get garbage collected at some point, et cetera, et cetera. It has to do that because it has to maintain variable references, things like that. However, if you just declare a local function to be static, you're saying, I'm not going to touch any of the variables that are outside my scope. So none of the variables in the function, none of the variables uh, in the class. And that seems a little strange at first. I'm sorry, I think you can access the class variables. Um, 
it seems a little bit strange, but it's a big hint to the compiler that if you promise not to do that, then it doesn't need to allocate an object. And so we're always pushing this, how do we not allocate objects so that we're not uh, having a lot of memory in use, and at the same time putting pressure on the garbage collector later to free up objects. Basically, code that doesn't allocate is generally faster code. <laughs> and this is giving us the opportunity. I love all these performance things. I, I keep picking performance ones, but I, I love this one. That's good. No, I, I, I didn't quite get that one, but now I get it. Because looking at the sample that they have of just adding two numbers, like, oh, you could access Y and X directly, but you know, we're just going to assign it something different. So it's, it's per, perf stuff. Now I need to go through all of the Xamarin Essential stuff and <laughs> see, because we have tons of local <laughs> yeah. functions there and see why or if I can add static to them, because most of them are just doing some computational stuff where I'm passing it items anyways. There's one, for instance, is a good one in our connectivity section. I pass it, I pass it the Android flavor and I return back the generic version of like internet or no connectivity or limited connectivity. And all that local function does is parse and does a few things in it, but I'm passing it. I'm passing it the information anyway. So I just make it static and then done. Yeah. You got it. Yep. Uh, Hopefully you won't notice (laughs) performance things unless you are in one of those scenarios where this stuff really counts. Uh, Generally speaking, you should write the simplest code possible and just leave it at that. But for scenarios where performance counts, you want these kinds of things. You don't want to be forced into allocating objects all the time. Yeah. Now, not not talking about not allocating objects and also talking about getting rid of arrows. I have been a big fan of pattern matching. Oh boy, we're going here, huh? Yes, I I, I love pattern matching, but I'm I'm going to let you continue because F sharp forever has had pattern matching. Yes, yeah, yeah, now, and you use it like every other line of code, basically. <laughs> yes. Now there are some nice things that were added in C sharp seven, such as the is referencing, so you can say if it is this type, assign it to this thing, and some things in switch statements that you could switch over an object and you can pattern match if it was a dog or if it was something else. Now, this feature snuck up on me and I started using it inside of Xamarin Essentials um, because there's new pattern matching features. There are things called switch expressions. There are Mm. property patterns and tuple patterns and positional patterns. There's a bunch of things. I started using switch expressions. Now, here's why. In my previous code, what I would do is I needed to get the orientation of the device. So if it was landscape or portrait or whatever the other values were. And in this code, in this little method, I would pass it some information like the window. And then I would check to see, is the window null? And if the window's null, I would return unknown. And then I would switch case over this thing and then return the value. And it sort of looked fine, but I go, man. No, it needs a comment. Like you have to explain that code because they're like, why are you checking for null here and then doing that? Yeah, it's tricky enough for sure. It's tricky enough. And then I said, well, man, wouldn't it just be great if I could somehow put that all into one switch thing? And <laughs> the compiler 
or Visual Studio is all like, hey, just just tap this button. Like we see you're checking for null up here, do this. So what you can do is it has this fancy syntax where previously you would like say, oh, I want to switch over, you know, um, orientation. And then you would say case orientation dot or you know landscape and then return this value or or then assign it, hit break and then return. It'd be like three lines of code, you know? So what switch expressions allow you to do is they allow you to say, here's a thing and then switch over it and just whatever you want it to be, do it. Uh, so it's a little bit hard to describe in words, but what I would say is, I would say window question mark dot orientation switch. Okay. Yeah. And that means that that value that I'm switching over could be an enum or it could be null. All right. And then I can say if it's null, lambda, return unknown. If it's um um if it's portrait, lambda this and you don't have any returns you don't have any you know you're returning this switch expression no variables no extra variables. no variables you don't have to assign anything you there's no defaults there's no breaks there's no, no returns break. that's the biggest one <laughs> none in it right and then there's a magical catch-all which i love and i think you can assign anything to it but they assign underscore to it so like a default you say if anything falls in here return this thing or throw an exception mm. and then boom, you just go yeah. to town. So it really, they have one where you're switching over like a enum, a color, and it just dramatically reduces the scope. But they have all sorts of really cool ones in there that that show you that really um, it allows you to pass it all sorts of different parameters to and just really clean up that code. Yeah, yeah. Can I give... um uh I have a funny way I think of this. The reason it's called switch expressions is because we've had switch statements in code forever. And if you kind of keep the difference of statement versus versus expression in your head, it's um, a statement does something, an expression computes something. They're, those are the two, one's an action, one's a value. And so now we're saying we have this version of switch that's not just do something based upon a value, but it's compute something based on a value. It's it's that simple distinction that I think is really nice to have in the language. Some languages like F-sharps, F-sharps <laughs> doesn't have uh, statements at all. And so they've had, they, they had, they call it match instead of switch, but it's essentially the same thing. But that's because the language never had statements. C-sharp was a statement-based language. We do semicolons and we talk about doing things. And so that's why uh, it's taken us a little time to get this one. And yes, I've been waiting for this forever. The syntax is a little bit funny. <laughs> it might take a little getting used to, especially if it's the first time that you've seen it. But once you've gotten used to it, I I switch all, haha, switch. I switch all my code over to uh, to the style. I'm a big fan of it, especially because the alternative in the past was uh, gross if, else if, else if, else if things, or gross mm. switch, break, switch, break, case, break, case. You know, there was just so much syntax, and this just decreases the amount of syntax. Yeah, and when you put it all in one line, it makes a lot of sense to look at it. You're like, this thing is this thing. And I think that's what's nice about it. And that it works with just about anything. You can yeah. mix and match this with uh, exp 
uh, property expressions. You can also use it with tuples, which is super cool. Um, so if you are passing a tuple in, um, or, you know, their example is you pass in two strings, you can actually switch expression over that as a tuple and then compare what first and second are. And that immediately reduces so much if statements or anything that you would have to do previously. So it's really, really nice. Uh, they literally write a rock, paper, scissors game in for like, what is this? (laughs) One, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines of code. You know what I mean? That's awesome. And, and it's really nice just to really see how distinct and how straightforward reading the code can be. Yeah, I, I especially like the um, property expressions where you can say, uh, here's an object I have, switch over it. And you want to say, uh, if the, uh, whatever, if the name is this, do that. If the name is that, do the other thing. And you can write that in very very cute little syntax using curly braces that emulate like kind of a blank object. Then you list just that property name. So you'd say curly name equals Frank. And then it'll only... Um, It'll return whatever. It'll take that code path for Frank's. I like that syntax. I didn't do a good job explaining it there, but I hope everyone will go look at specifically the property matching expressions that you can do. Yeah. So so the, the really clear example of this is you have a person and they have a first and last name property, so two strings. So the exact thing that Frank is saying is what you would do is you would pass a method, basically a person, and then you would switch over the person. But what you're able to do is say, first name is this, then do this, or even last name or first name and last name do this. And you can, you're not, you're looking at the property inside of the object, which is kind of bananas to do. And you can mix and match based on any of the properties that are inside of it. Super cool. Yeah, it's the mixing and the matching is where it becomes powerful because you could say, well, it's the same as saying if foo.name equals Frank. Okay, that's not much. But what if you have 12 different names or you're accessing different properties under different scenarios? What if their name is James and they're older than 64? Well, that's a more complicated scenario. So it can handle those better. That's why it's hard to come up with uh, trivial cases because this is kind of a power feature in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good one. I recommend spending a little bit of time looking at the pattern matching enhancements because it's pretty nice. Uh, and yeah, I swear every time I come into the documentation, I just pick out one. And I'm like, I'm going to use this today. And I'm like, this thing's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> so cool. Uh, can I do a favorite? You ready for another one? Oh, gosh. I don't know if it's big or small or performance, but go for it. It's not performance. This is pure feature, 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 feature. Indices and ranges, James. This one's going to take a little bit of explaining, but the idea is instead of just being able to pull one element out of an array or a list or whatever, a collection, you should be able to pull out multiple things. In the same way that we do substring on strings, you should be able to easily do that with uh, collections. Now, we've always been able to do this with link. We could de- say um, dot skip dot take. And those were like clever ways <laughs> to get sub ranges out of lists. But now we have full on syntax uh, for supporting. Well, let's go with indices first. Uh, indices, just like what you would think, it's it's the numerical index. So zero through n minus one for an array. Uh, 
But you can use the dot dot syntax to say, maybe I want elements zero through four, or maybe I'm crazy and I want elements three through six. You can say three dot dot six. Kind of crazy. Are you going to use this one? Uh, so this looks like something I've seen before. Is it like a uh, Python-y maybe? Yes, yes. This is exactly from Python. And this comes up quite a lot when you're doing uh, higher dimensional math, specifically in the machine learning realm. We have these objects called tensors, and they're just multidimensional matrices, nothing complicated, just a big bucket of numbers, but with many dimensions. And so you're always pulling bits and pieces out of it because it's so big. And that's where this ranging is very useful. So this to me is useful if I am like a good use case for this that I can see is I have a file name and I need to take, you know, the first thing or the last like PNG off the end of it. And I know I could do the, you know, I could do the file path. I could do this, but I'm like, oh, maybe I just want to get the, the last three things off of it. And maybe I'm going to parse that off of it. So I'm assuming if I have a string, I can be like, give me the last three characters of that string. Yes. And this is where a very powerful part comes in now. Python has funny syntax. So if you have an array and you access the negative first element, so you say blah, 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 bracket, negative one, bracket. In C sharp, we would say that's an index out of range exception. Throw an error. Someone has some bug in their code. Mm, But yeah. But some people found that conceptualizing an array not as a fixed uh well it's still fixed but they wanted to be able to um wrap around so if you go off the end of the list then you wrap around to the other end so that means if i go off the beginning i would wrap around to the end if i go off the end i wrap around to the beginning you could almost think of it as using modular arithmetic given the base of the length of the array Okay, that was a lot of words, but it all comes down to your ability to say foo negative one. And that is actually actually accessing the last element of the array. Now, we knew in C sharp that would confuse everyone because forever negative numbers are not allowed as indices. So we have a funny new character. They added a whole new bit of syntax to the language just to support this. And it's the caret operator, the hat. So (laughs) you put a little hat in front of the one and you conceptualize that as negative one and you just rolled off the end of the cliff and you're allowed to do that in C sharp now. So I don't know if you've ever done this, but you had an array and you wanted the last element. And for some reason you don't remember to use link and dot last. You could say like array bracket array dot length minus one bracket. Do you ever do Mm -hmm. that? I do it all the time. All the time. All the time. So now you can replace that with array bracket caret one. Think of it as negative one, but wrapping bracket. And that's the last element of the array. And that's advanced indexing new to us. Mm. It's a little weird, that one. It's a little weird. But uh, they're definitely doing this to support. I don't know, man. I, I get used to this. I, I very much enjoy the negative uh negative indexing to be thoroughly honest i've been doing a lot of python lately (laughs) so i'm quite kind of used to it but it's i think it is semi-specialized to uh these math libraries where it's especially useful 
Yeah, this this seems like a mathy type feature, to be honest with you. Yeah, and it it seems cool <laughs> in general. I, I needed to wrap my head around it because they do have a really good breakdown of it's exactly. Yeah, wrap. there you go. Wrap. <laughs> how how it wraps around? The, yeah, it's it's uh, peculiar. That's a. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. Ponder try it. it. Yeah, think ponder. on it. Meditate on it. Yeah. Well, one I'll start using yeah. immediately. We're not gonna go through every single feature, but at least one or two more here. We mentioned in the beginning, which is no coalescing assignment. This one is straightforward and simple. It is a delighter. This is one I just found out about today <laughs> as we're recording. In my code all the time, Frank, I have getters. And those getters will do something like you could say, if you know person equals equals null, then person equals new person, right? Oh, del- kind of like delayed initialization, like a lazy, but you didn't want to use lazy. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so you might do this there. Now, the other places I do it is when um, I'm creating like a view model or something, or maybe I'm lazily getting, yeah, the lazy, it's a good good way of doing it, or lazily um, creating um, a, pro- a public property getter. So for instance... Uh, I might have an HTTP client that's private, but I might have a public one and or or not even a public one, but I might just have a getter, right? Which is capital HTTP client instead of lowercase HTTP client. And then what I'll do there is I'll say, you know what, lazily create this thing on the fly for me. So I'll say client question mark, question mark. And then in brackets, I'll do client equals new HTTP client. And it's actually pretty verbose because you're doing question mark, question mark, and that's new even, right? The double question mark. And if it's null, then assign it. So next time when I get it, return it. Well, there's a new syntax, Frank, and that I'm in love with. It's amazing. All you got to do is say client equal or question mark, question mark equals new HTTP client. Done. And baffle everyone on your team. (laughs) Yes. It's easy. So what that's... So what that's saying is, if client is null, then create a new client and assign it. If it's not null, don't do a thing. So it's kind of like, if I already have an object, ignore the rest of what I'm saying here. But if I don't have an object, then you got to do all this stuff. I think it's a little bit weird, but at the same time, I know I'm going to use the heck out of this. And so I'm already like kind of apologizing to everyone that I confuse with it. But I think it's cool. I think it's I think it's elegant and I think it makes 100% sense. I don't think it's confusing at all. Like I saw it and I go, yes, I get it. I'm in 100%. <laughs> Done. Yeah, I'm trying to think of scenarios where I do this. I guess um, for me, it's more like default parameters to methods. Perhaps like I want to have a method parameterized, but I know a good default and I don't want to force myself to have to come up with it every time. So I'll, I'll allow null as one of the parameters. I'll check the parameter. If it's null, then I'll do a thing. So this would definitely clean up, yeah, default parameters. Yeah, I think anytime that you have a null check and then assign, like anytime that you yeah. check for null <laughs> and it is null and you assign that thing a new property, you use this thing instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As long as you're not doing anything else in that, yeah, if, yep, perfect. Do it a lot. I mean, we're removing, uh, I- I'm seeing a theme here. We're removing curly braces, and I approve of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Well, when you don't need them, you can get rid of them. So, mm-hmm. But when you needed mm-hmm. 
you you would you would use them. So now you don't need them. Yes, very good, very well said. When we're speaking of null, should we should we mention the big one? I th- we did pretty much a whole episode on noble references, mm-hmm. but maybe we should uh, give a shout out to them once again. Uh, I'm a huge fan. As far as I understand it, you hate them and you'll never use them. Am I getting that accurate? Am I right? No, no, no. Nullable reference types. I'm in for it. Just I don't. I haven't. I haven't done it yet, Frank. So it's it's unknown, and it's something that when you <laughs> when you read the documentation, they're like, "Go read this other document that will describe Aww. it to you." So it's it's that involved that it it can't be <laughs> summarized in the what's new in C sharp eight, which means that it is going to take me a little bit of time. That's what. Ah. I have a blog post. Lots of people have blog posts. A lot of us are very excited for this. It's found bugs in my code. And for that, I'm just forever ha- happy. And I complained on the last episode, or not the last, but a few episodes ago that I have a- had a crashing null reference exception in one of my apps. And that just killed my soul. So I'm just going through all my code and enabling C Sharp 8's nullable reference uh, tracking. It's a pain. You need to set aside a day for it, but it's worth it. Yeah, that's what I think it is. And I need to go into a very small library, maybe my MVVM helpers, yes. and then just do that. That's absolutely how I did it. Um, I started with my smallest library and converted it over. And that's nice because you want to assume that that library is bug free. So everything should go through mm-hmm. just fine. It found bugs. So <laughs> even in the small library, maybe I'll do that on my stream next Friday. So this Friday coming up, if you're listening to this on the 4th, which would be when this episode comes out. So on November 8th, if you have if you've gotten this far, you should head to mm. my Twitch stream or I'll be on my YouTube later. But I think I'll just do it. I've been looking. I might join in for that one. I'll hang out in the chat. Yeah. Yeah, I'll ping you. I'll I'll make sure you know, because I think it'll be very brand new to me. And that one's straightforward because it's just a .NET standard 2.0 library, nothing special, and just do it. Yeah, that sounds very doable, reasonable. What's left, James? Well, we're not going to go through everything, but let's say there's a few more um, weird kind of performance ones, and I'm calling them weird, so you know they're really weird. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So you can... um, uh, you can half initialize objects. Don't do it, but you can now. Um, <laughs> you can stack allocate arrays more uh, with less syntax now, but don't do that. <laughs> don't don't stack allocate your arrays. Uh, what else? What else? What am I missing? Um, my favorite is the. Uh, you can use the question mark and 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 and, and sign. Or and sign and question mark, like either way, they're like, that's fine. We figured it out. Oh, which feature was that with the question mark? It's interp- interpolated strings. So yeah. it's interpolated verbatim strings. So, f- for instance, you, this is important when you have like wax in your, in your or code. Or multi line. Multi line, I do it a lot with. Multi line, yes. Uh, you need to put an at sign, like an, you know, at, like an email mm-hmm. at. Yeah, in front of it. So so that's going to tell that it's a verbatim string. But the problem was that that before you always had to put the question mark before the at sign. Now you can put it after. It's not the so. question mark. That's what I was getting confused. It's the dollar sign, James. Oh, dollar, dollar sign, sign, dollar sign. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah, for real. Like, which one goes first? I don't know. And neither could the language designers obviously remember. So they're like both, <laughs> whichever. Both. both. We did it. Yeah. 
Uh, How do you like our language now? That's right. Um, asynchronous streams. They did it. You can go uh, async enumerable it up. Yeah, go figure go it out. watch the videos. We should talk about it. But at the same time, we talked about it before. And I'm like, I don't have much use for these things. But man, they're getting promoted a lot. I just don't have much use for them. I think if you're doing back if you're doing streaming things obviously that makes a lot of sense so the time we demoed is always with like grpc type of stuff like that and that okay. has it built in but i don't know I, maybe just, like web sockets or http2 something along those mm, lines yeah yes so i'm not there yet it's too it's 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 already in the future and i'm not ready for that one yet so that one, I'm just going to have to have like an epiphany before I realize how I can effectively use it. Because right now it's just a feature sitting out there that I don't know. Don't know whether I want to take advantage of or probably like half the things I mentioned on this podcast. People are like, do I care? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You should. You should care about everything. All right, Frank, let's wrap it up. Favorite feature. Go. Uh, Nullable references. I'm sorry. Of course. A- end of null. And let's end it. Let's erase it from history be gone i'm i'm into more pattern matching because as a c-sharp developer i haven't had enough pattern matching in my life and i didn't appreciate the pattern matching until i had the pattern matching so more pattern matching is what i'm into so that's my you know that that is statement like uh, pattern matching from c-sharp 7 i use that everywhere i love that yeah so good Mm -hmm. yeah more of that (laughs) it's coming more of it all right we did it 50 minutes of c-sharp 8 Frank. Yes, sir. Uh, so that means next week's episode of C Sharp 9. Can't wait yes. for the preview season. <laughs> I'm ready. Bring it on. All right, buddy. We'll have a great week. And to all of our listeners, you also have a great week, too. Uh, if you're at Ignite, I'm at Ignite. So you should probably come say hi at Ignite in Orlando, Florida. And be polite. Yeah. I'll have some stickers. You know, that's it. So. Cool. All right. Thanks, Frank, uh, for talking C Sharp 8 with me. And thanks for everyone for listening. And so that's going to do it for this week's pod. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace.